Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart, Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is... I'm Beth Mantle. Hey, y'all. I'm Mickey Turner. Hello. I'm Dave Clark. Look at that. We're like professionals. It was executed perfectly. 10, 60 uh, minutes-esque. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 60 minutes-esque. Uh, I, I bet Beth, Beth has never even heard of the program 60 Minutes, I bet. I don't think I'm that young. Okay. She has parents. <laughs> I do exist online. Is 60 Minutes on, are they online? I mean, I don't know. I've never tried to go watch it, but I imagine it exists somewhere. Yeah, you're right. All right. Well, that was that was unnecessary, <laughs> Jeremiah. I don't know why I chose violence. Uh, speaking Is of Beth which, an actual baby, right? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, that I guess I. Uh, speaking of choosing violence, <laughs> uh. So we had quite, it's been, I don't know. I don't even say it's like over. I feel like we're still in this. Uh, there's like a lot of lot going on uh, this week around violence and the Sounders. Uh, I don't know. I I'm, I'm trying to move past it. I think I've made a, I've made a, uh, a conscientious decision to try to like pay less attention, but God damn it. SKC, Tim Malia, they don't want us to forget they like, if and I think if you want to look for, anyone who's trying who's keeping this going it's not sounders fans whining it is kansas city actually doing celebrations that like essentially make fun of it but let's let's rewind a little bit and in case you have been under a rock and you don't know what i'm talking about uh were you under the rock thank you did he rock bottom you yeah thank i was glad see look at this uh so on saturday saturday Saturday, uh, Saturday, 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 Saturday uh, 1230. Why was that match so early? That's a good question. Uh, was it on national? It was on T on Univision. It, I don't know. Maybe Univision, it's their normal yeah, slot. That, oh, okay. And it helped because, uh, if it was at 730, that's six hours less sleep or rest between the Tuesday game. So, yeah, that was even, which I guess I assume was an ESPN thing. Uh, and then we have a Monday game. 12.30 Saturday, Tuesday, Monday. What is going on here? Also, the Tuesday kickoff was 7.30, which is late. Like, yeah, that's that a late, late kickoff. It was. And Sounders looked sleepy. But let's... let's. Uh, okay, back to the violence at hand. Back to the violence at hand. Tim Malia, uh, body slams, rock bottoms, whatever you want to say. Christian rolled on. He does not, at first, get anything. And then, I presume, VAR said, yeah, you're going to want to do something about this. And uh, he gave him a yellow card. Tim Lee gets a yellow card. Alex Roldan gets a yellow card for shoving Tim Lee in the back. Christian Roldan only called for a foul. I think it's 
worth pointing out. He did not get a yellow card for that. Uh, the world cannot believe this. What a joke it is that MLS is not red carding people for body slamming. The Rock points out that it should be a red card. And then MLS gets all loses its mind about the rock talking about them and just like notice me senpai ness uh like loses their mind and gets very excited about the rock mentioning them without really worrying too much about it being a very bad reflection on the refereeing in mls uh but then we think i think at least i had talked myself into thinking that there would be some level of justice done and there was not there was uh Tim Lea got one game, which I think was on appeal, but I don't actually, I've never been able to actually confirm that. Uh, the league is not really that it, like I, I submitted a whole bunch of questions to the league about this and uh, I've not heard back from them other than the day of when the referee basically said, I didn't think it rose to the level of brutality. Uh, ignoring <clears throat> that excessive force is also part of the uh, rule. Uh, but anyway, I don't know. I, I, I am at a loss st- at this point. Dave, what do you, you want to say something? Yeah. When, when we talk about the level of brutality, I just think about what, if we'd su- seen that exact same move in the NFL. Yeah. That's an immediate ejection in the NFL, which is a sport that celebrates violence. It would yeah. be an immediate ejection and a multi-game suspension and hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines. If it's in the NBA, that guy doesn't play for a month. If it's in baseball, that guy doesn't play for a year. So when we talk about it not being brutal, yeah. What what are you talking about? That's a mixed martial arts or a wrestling move. In wrestling, I talked to somebody who literally t- teaches wrestling, Ethan HD. He said that it would be a few months before a trainee is allowed to pull off that move consensually. And it's clear Christian didn't consent to being rock bottomed. So <laughs> um, when when a referee says that it's not brutal, that's a complete disconnect from reality. Because yeah. it's considered a brutal finishing move in the sport where it originated, and it would be an extraordinarily brutal move in any other sport. So it's laughable to say that it's not brutal and it's not excessive force. And it's laughable that it's only a single game suspension because I've seen less violent hits from Cam Chancellor that result in suspensions. So like it, it's just bizarre as to how this is considered like it's a finishing move it's literally what ends a wrestling match not what <laughs> it's not a routine event um, right when I, and i think what's interesting about that is that you made a lot of comparisons to other sports but you didn't compare it to something that happens in soccer and that's because i don't think i've ever seen this happen in soccer like re, like goalkeepers get crowded every game and they don't resort to slamming the opponent to the ground I like, I don't, and I, I, and I, you know, Mickey, you, you sort of got into this a bit, but a lot has been made over the fact that Christian was not hurt uh, seemingly at all, which is great. Uh, And I suppose like on some level it would, that factors into the long-term, like if, if Christian had really been hurt, I have no doubt that this would have been like a five or 10 game suspension, but that he wasn't hurt doesn't mean it wasn't brutal and it wasn't excessive force. Yeah, um, I think we can make a reasonable case that you know Melia um, on a different in a different timeline could have been arrested for what he did because there's no context in which that move is a soccer move or could be construed as such. Uh, certainly, 
NHL players have gotten arrested for using their sticks as weapons. Um, and you can nominally say that at least that involves some sort of hockey maneuver. This um, does not qualify as such. And so Melia is certainly lucky that uh, role, uh, Christian didn't get injured because certainly I think there's a, a chance that, you know, yeah, he'd be talking to his lawyer at this point uh, about, about making bail. So, you know, that aside, it was not a, he did not get seriously injured. And that's, as you point out, probably why he was not suspended for much longer, but that doesn't take away from the brutality of the move um, and what happened. And there's no circumstance that I see that justifies um, him getting off uh, so light. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, to that point that MLS decided to make hay out of it in, in, in chasing, uh, getting some rub from the rock, uh, you know, noticing them for about five minutes. Um, I'm sure the rock has long since forgotten about MLS and unless something similar happens, won't ever mention them ever again. So you have to wonder if MLS, uh, essentially uh, glory hunting uh, the rock uh, was worth it uh, to basically denigrate one of their players and make light of a, uh, what could have been serious situation. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously no question that it was a red card in the moment and it should have been additional suspension. Like there's no point in arguing that we can all see that he body slammed Christian. Like you can't, you can't do that. Um, and I think that just illustrates like there was complete failure from pro from VAR from the disco, like every single one of those institutions failed Christian Roldan. I mean, they're supposed to protect him and they didn't. And that's kind of embarrassing. What's also embarrassing is the fact that Tim Melia, after being approached by a man that is five foot eight on a good day, Christian is five foot eight on a good day, having him in front of you makes you feel the need to body slam him like that's an emotional issue like have you tried therapy like that's not how you respond to things and I think it's embarrassing like if it was one of our players I would be like girl you need help like that's not that's not okay that's not something we do and then to see SKC incorporate that into their goal celebration with Jimmy Russell and Graham Susie on their match yesterday like yeah. that means that their, their club culture is encouraging that they do not see it as embarrassing. They see it as funny and they see it as something that they would do again, because all they got is missing Tim Melia for one match. It didn't matter. They won anyways. Like it's just, the whole thing was handled incredibly poorly on everyone's end. It yeah, was, that- you also saw stuff from MLS with the rock content and also MLS's writers were kind of feeding into the hoopla and they everyone kind of cultivated an environment around this that was really unhealthy and extremely damaging for several people online. I ha- I was dragged into some of it by some SKC supporters who tagged me in some stuff that was crossing the line. Remember that MLS campaign? We crossed the line on that. There's a lot of online harassment. It's still going on in the Sounder Heart mentions. And all of this could have been stopped if the ref had made a simple decision with using his eyes. If VAR had then been like, oh, the ref missed that, here, I'll help you out. Uh, if MLS hadn't decided that The Rock was worth more than literally anything else. And if like everyone in an influencer position online also didn't choose to see this as a funny incident. And that's how we got where we are, where every day I wake up and there's some stuff on my Twitter timeline re-dragging this through the mud which I'm just, I'm getting really tired of it. 
it, it is very tiring. I'd say it's like the, the thing I would call it, the, the word I used in talking uh, with someone from MLS soccer is that it's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. Like at every level, like I haven't been personally, you know, aggrieved by it necessarily, but I, I see others being uh, quite like, like you said, like, uh, like harassed or whatnot. And like, I don't want to make too much of it from my perspective. Cause it's like, I'm not, I'm not suffering these consequences, but <clears throat> I do think it's, ju- it's just been really disappointing. Um, and I, like, I get it. Like on some level, I think there's this sense that like Sounders fans have spent a lot of time gloating online and uh, maybe like, Oh, Sounders fans are just kind of getting their comeuppets and they don't like being on the other side of this. And, and I don't think that it's Sounders fans not being able to like take a figurative punch. I, I think that there is sort of like a, a bullying mentality a little bit that's going on here where it's like, everyone is kind of enjoying, like, I think the world is enjoying shitting on Sounders fans a little bit more than uh, is deserved and seems to be a little bit uh, out of line with reality. And and the thing that's really disappointing though, like I said, is that the league had a chance to sort of put this right. And they, and they very much did not Uh, the one game ban. I, I don't, I have yet to hear a justification for it. I've asked for it. Uh, I spent a fair amount of time trying to get an answer for it. They, I was told the Sounders aren't even getting an explanation for it. Uh, so there's just like a complete lack of accountability, uh, not the least of which is uh, Ishmael Elfath, the referee, and I think it was Ruben Velasquez, uh, if I'm correct, was the VAR uh, official. Both of them got center ref assignments uh, yesterday. So it's like no one is being there – is, there doesn't seem to be any sort of like – like uh soul searching over like what did we miss here what went wrong and it's sort of like being treated as a pretty run-of-the-mill mistake uh and i and i think that's that's probably maybe the biggest disappointment for me yeah i think that's that's a good way to put it um you know mls is at this point uh just trying to you know let this move, move this along. I think is, yes. is fair to yes. say uh, th- from their perspective, they had their fun. They got some social media engagement. They may or may not realize that their initial tweets and TikToks uh, went over the line, but they're certainly not going to walk it back um, publicly or even privately uh, from what it sounds like they're not going to respond um, at all. Uh, you know, as far as the, the ban is concerned, uh, it's kind of the same thing that, you know, they just they just want to move this along. They, they gave Melia the slap on the wrist um, and they just want to and they just want to move uh, from, you know, the fans perspective, uh, particularly SKC, I think, and maybe the, you know, the league at large. Uh, this is, as you point out, a little bit about, you know, rubbing the Sounders fans faces it, owning owning the Sounders, uh, notwithstanding uh, doing the right thing. Uh, and so I think that plays into it quite a bit. They see a chance to troll the Sounders and sure uh, someone could have gotten seriously injured and sure your refereeing is now uh, shambles as far as the reputation is concerned. Not that it was all that high to begin with, uh, but hey, uh, the Sounders are in a tizzy. Sounders fans are up in a tizzy and yeah, maybe they need to be taken down a few notches. So I think that's, you know, you at this point just kind of have to dismiss the fan reaction um, from other teams. Uh, they're just they're just looking for attention and uh, just looking to, you know, you know, stick it to the Sounders. It's a broken fan base, really, because they won and have taken over first place. And that's not what they're celebrating. <laughs> no. What the fans are celebrating is the act of violence that they got away with. So oh, I'm really I mean... confused. Like if if I was in first place, I'd be like, 
hell yeah, we're in first place. Choke on it, suckers. Not, um, we got away with some violence, you weenie, and things that are much more um, strongly phrased than that. Like, it, it's broken. It's a broken way to enjoy sports. Well, and I, and I would, and again, not to like make too much of this, but I think even maybe even more accurately than they're celebrating the violence, I think they're more celebrating how mad it's making Sounders fans. And it's sort of this lib tears uh, kind of mentality, which is just like gross and disappointing and uh, frustrating. And I, like I said, like, I, I would like to think that the way to uh, answer this is uh, I mean, really the best way to answer this is, is like the Sounders should go out and uh, win their next uh, six games. And, uh, and at that point, I think it will be called even. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the meantime, it would be nice if uh, like people would get out of uh, like, you don't need to tag everyone that you're mad at. Like, it's like, just kind of like talk to your own echo chamber. It's okay. Uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe that that's a, that's a place to move on and we can, uh, speak about LAFC, which uh, rather than fixing any of this, uh, I think probably made the emotions around uh, the Sounders world a bit more dark. Uh, it was like the first half, I think, was about as bad as the Sounders have looked. Uh, they, you know, uh, they got they, they were OK the first 20 minutes, but then after the goal, kind of fell apart and for the last 20 minutes of the half it looked like they were struggling just to get the ball out of their own end uh the goal that the the final goal that the goal right before the end of the first half that la scored came after the sounders couldn't clear their lines uh got a deflected cross latif blessing uh puts it away and that was like basically the last play of the first half and in fairness, like I think 2-0 scoreline was probably fair. Like the Sounders had been beaten up pretty bad at that point and they were not playing well. Um, you know, and and we we can kind of talk about we'll start we'll talk about the second half later, but I, I think one of the things that was interesting to see at the start was like how a Josh Atencio Kellen Road defensive midfield pairing would look. And it was bad. I mean it was it was really bad. It was the first time that we've seen that pairing. Uh I think neither one of those players complement each other well. Uh, you know, Atencio is not necessarily a high action defensive midfielder. He tends to do his work more than with positioning and he's, he's a very good passer. Kellen Rowe uh, is a little bit more high action, but he's definitely not like a lockdown defender and they were a mess uh, together, frankly. Yeah, uh, it was, it was not good. I, I, when I was, you know, reviewing the game, I, I thought this kind of just exposed a little bit that the depth, uh, they relied on the depth a lot this year. Um, and some of the injuries and unavailability um, in this game kind of finally came home to roost for me. I mean, I don't think Ziggy, or I don't think uh, Schmetzer would have ever put Atencio and Rowe together if he didn't think he had to. Um, there may have been another option. Maybe he puts Leva um, in there and pairs him with one of the other two, but I don't know if that, you know, the Leva Atencio, um, you know, kind of defensive midfields has kind of mixed reviews at this point, but maybe it would have been better, but you know, the, the midfield just, you know, you were just missing too many of your, of your top line players. 
um, and they needed Christian uh, further up the field, although he wasn't particularly effective um, in this match either. So I think it was just for me, uh, so some of the depth issues are finally coming back to bite them. And the good news is that most of those players are coming back here uh, in the next game. We should we should expect uh, Ladero to play a more uh, uh, prominent role in a, a Galaxy match. Uh, Jao Paulo will be back, but that doesn't help them. Uh, Don't that forget didn't help about Jordan Morris. Yeah. Jordan Morris is supposed to be on the bench on Monday. Yeah, no, I, and I do think, and I, and I think we, we should focus that we spent spend some time talking about going forward. Cause I do think that there's like, there's not reasons. I, I think the levels of despair are maybe disproportionate to what uh, the reality was. And, and I'll start by pointing out that the second half uh, we can talk about games much better. was much better. I mean, it was, and, and, and it was immediately better, uh, like literally almost right out of out of the second half uh, whistle. They got two great chances. A uh, new who had a wide open header that he somehow put off the underside of the crossbar. Uh, and I don't know if snake bit's the right word, but uh, it's starting to look increasingly unlikely that we're going to get that new who goal. You take uh, that back. I know. Don't I put know. that into the world. We're going to get uh, it. Then, it's going to be at home and everyone's going to run it. on the pitch. It's yes, going to be, no, you're right. It's going to be a total meltdown. Uh, you're right. You're, and this is only making it better. Uh, this is only making it better. He's getting some practice in. Exactly. Got to work up to it. Uh, and then Freddie Montero had another great chance, like right after that, like almost, almost literally right after that. And uh, then right after that, we conceded a goal. Would you look right. at that? Yes. Uh, a, a bit of a, a fluky goal. It should be said, but yes, that we gave up a goal right, right away, uh, right away. Uh, after that, I was like the 51st minute, something like that. It was like the five best minutes of play we've seen from the Sounders in the whole game. And yeah. they follow it up by going down another goal. Yeah. Yeah. That was just a- no one stepping, uh, like just letting a guy dribble. He, he got about a 10 yard dribble to run up. No one closed him down. Um, the errors from Roe, Atencio, and then every center back to just leave him with space. Yeah. Yeah, I think this, the LAFC game definitely underscored the importance of having JP in the yeah. midfield. And JP on, MVP, you might say. Yeah, J, hashtag JP MVP. Make those memes, tweet those tweets. Um, and I also, I think that gets into a concept of um, leadership that I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a problem, but I think on, on the pitch against LAFC, we lacked someone who was going to take charge and kind of get everyone on the same page. It just felt a little, un, a little disconnected, a little dispassionate almost, that I feel like we don't usually see from the Sounders. Um, and I think in times like this, when you're out three DPs, we had no DPs on the field for that game, which obviously makes a team worse because three DPs. Um, but I think in that scenario, you rely on Christian Roldan, which would be great because Christian's great, except in that game, Christian kind of acts as a glue for the Sounders. He makes everyone better. He fills in the holes. He is great. But I don't think he can do that and also be the star that needs to replace some of those DPs. I don't think he can do those things at the same time. And I think he wasn't able to be the star in that game because the players around him weren't also doing particularly well. So I feel like we were asking a bit too much of Christian. The rest of the team was a bit underperforming and it was just a generally lackluster performance for most of the match, except those like five minutes. They were really good. Those five minutes were good. And there was, 
and I think there was some good play, you know, after they went down, like they, they went down and then they almost gave up another goal, like almost right away. Uh, and Fry ended up making a couple good, sa- a couple really good saves actually. Uh, and then like the last 20 ish minutes of the game, they, they looked good again. Uh, Nico Ladero had a goal that like when he hit it, I thought for sure it was a goal. Uh, and Jamal Blackman made a great save. He also made a really good save on Niku uh, Benaze, who who went through on a Leo Chu pass. Uh, Chu continues, it should be said, to look really good when he plays. Uh, this seems like it would have been a great game to see him play, Beth. Uh, we have an update. Um, the suspension on Tim Miglia was an initially a two-game ban. SKC appealed it, and the league dropped it down to one. I have no idea what you could show or tell the league to make them – decrease a two-game ban for that not to bring this up again but i just saw the tweet yeah uh, i have no it, idea that's shocking yeah it's uh i i had heard it was the players that malia like uh uh challenged it through the players union I, I i can't confirm that i don't know this seems to imply that it was the team that that uh lobbed the the, uh, uh, yeah, the ML, though the players' association declined to comment, uh, saying right. it's against our policy to comment on on their appeals process. So whether they were directly involved in by initiating it or supporting it, who knows? Yeah, the only theory I've seen as to why Malia was uh, why the appeal worked was Nick Ramondo's theory is just that he's a good he's, guy, uh, generally a good guy, and a first time offender in anything remotely similar. Um, and that's the only stretch that I've seen could relate to why it's such a light penalty. Because one game, he, he's facing actually a lighter penalty than if he'd gotten carded during the game. Or if he'd seen red during the game, he would have sat out that, what, roughly 30 minutes plus the next game. As opposed to, since it's a post-match, um, he has a lighter penalty. Yep. Uh, but we don't need to focus too much on that yeah we're back uh, on that again back on that again um but yeah i mean i think that there was some like I, I know there was a lot of despondence at this i know that you know like someone came into my uh twitter mentions is like this is the worst 11 day span in sounders history and while i don't know 11 days is an oddly specific time frame uh and maybe it is by that sole metric the worst 11 days I pointed out, like, back in 2013, Sounders lost four in a row, uh, including a 5-0, I think, or 5-1 loss to uh, the Rapids, a 4-1 loss at home to the, to the Whitecaps. And, uh, and then they also lost to Dallas, who's, who had two players get into a fist fight at halftime. Uh, I remember it, yeah. And that was, that was over the span of two weeks. They probably uh, got harsher suspensions than Tim Melia. They might No, have. neither of them were suspended. Oh, that, really? That's one I of my you. frustrations. Um, but I mean, there's been plenty. Like, I'm sorry, there was a, was it 2011 where O'Brien White's career ended due to blood clots? Steve Zakawani gets the, uh, the extraordinary oh. broken leg and the Sounders are losing games while two players' careers are in jeopardy. I, that's definitely worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I and mean, it's a, it's the final a lack two of... weeks of Siggy um, were worse than this. It, for perspective, the yeah. Sounders are in second place with only a two-goal differential between first place in the West. They're right. one point. They're a one-point magic number from clinching 
another appearance in the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah, how did that um, happen? Uh, because the the knock-on effects from uh, New England takes it for Supporters' Shield, Kansas City or Seattle gets it for winning the West, and then the third best team will get it because there's no Open Cup. Right. So, like, yes, the Sounders are in this horrible – like, it's a slump. But, but it's not actually that bad of a slump. It's they they lost two games by one goal and another by three goals. It's a bad. I mean, they, this last loss was bad. I guess the point being, like, like they could win their last two games and they would still uh, tie their franchise record for points in a season. So it's like there's something to be said about having some perspective about this season and where it's potentially going. Uh, the most encouraging thing I think from the game was the play of Ladero because to me he looked more like himself in that. 30 minutes or whatever than he had looked all season. Uh, they're going to get Raul Ruiz Diaz back on Monday. They're, like you said, they're probably going to get Jordan Morris back on Monday. I don't know that Jordan Morris is going to start at all this year, but having him available off the bench is undeniably uh, a huge weapon to have. You have Leo Chu who continues to look very good. There's a lot of reasons. I guess what I'm saying is like to think that this season is like, not just sell, like this can still be a really historic, like there's every reason to be confident that there's, this can be a very, very good season still. Yeah, another I, thing's right. Um, and I think my concern going forward, I guess, uh, is something that Schmetzer talked about, which is basically just integrating all of these pieces back um, into the team and finding out a, a lineup that best utilizes their their talents. Because I think by his own admission, uh, you know, when Ladero came back the last time, um, even though he was, you know, not himself, uh, they struggled to kind of put him in the right places to do what he wanted to do. Now, maybe some of that was, he was just not right. And as you pointed out, he looked much better in this game, uh, but they still need to figure out where they're going to put him and how they're going to move those other pieces around. Uh, right. Raul Diaz obviously fits uh, back into where he initially was, but um, Jordan Morris, uh, you, you, you wonder what kind of formation they're going to, go with if they bring him if he ends up starting say a playoff game uh do they go to the two forward set do they try to shoehorn him into one of those two midfield spots uh advanced midfield spots or they go back to the four two three one um so i think that's really where i you know if i was uh concerned about how they're gonna do in the playoffs is where my concern would be um it's just you know uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of 2013 without the dysfunctional locker room. You just had a bunch of pieces that were high talented pieces, but they never really, um, especially towards the end of the year, were able to fit when you had, you know, Dempsey and Eddie Johnson, uh, you know, and it just, it just never quite worked. Um, so hopefully they'll be able to figure out how to incorporate those pieces, not having to deal with kind of the locker room dysfunction that, that plagued the end of the 2013 year. There's there's one big positive too is that uh, we're finally done with double game weeks, um, yeah. And so, yes, there's six six day weeks rather than seven, but it's a that's going to be a great adjustment and a, a a power for one for Schmetzer trying to figure out lineups. He can spend more days in training and, and on, on tape, but also just because uh, Kellen Rowe, Josh Atencio, Danny Leva, uh, Jimmy Merdranda, and Alex Roldan, all of them have more minutes this year than they have at this level uh, basically for years. Like Kellen Rowe hasn't played this many minutes for like six years. Alex Roldan matched his number of minutes played uh, this year between national team and MLS is uh, basically his entire career 
in just one year. He's doubled his minutes played. Essentially, Jimmy Madranda hasn't been used this much probably in four years. Uh, Josh Atencio played like two minutes in 2020. Danny Leva played like five minutes in 2020. Uh, some of the depth on this team has been used so heavily that they're setting personal records for minutes played. Um, it'll be good just to rest for a lot of these guys. Like um, Christian doesn't need to rest, but basically everybody else that's been used in a midfield or wingback role has played so many more minutes than they're used to. And on short rest always so that's just a positive we you know this six day break and then another six day break um and then it's thankfully it's only a two game international break rather than a three which should help seattle because we have too many international players but and then it's also but it's a two week i I think it's two weeks between the regular season and the start of playoffs assuming they don't uh get the top seed which we have assumed we don't know this for sure, but the assumption is that the top seed in the West is going to be playing on Thanksgiving, uh, which is going to probably be the Sounders or sporting Kansas city. Uh, I don't personally mind not having that and being on the, the other side of the bracket from there wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, And I'll point out, this is like the most random stat that I can't really explain, but uh, since 2013, nine number two seeds have made it to MLS cup and only one number one seed. And that's not just the supporter shield winner. That's including the one seed from the other conference. Uh, and only like half the number one seeds have even made it to their conference final. Uh, now, granted, this is only the second time this current playoff format has been used. Uh, and maybe that's going to change that dramatically, but uh, you know, it, it's point being like being the number one seed is not, like a guarantee of anything. I don't really want to play on Thanksgiving, but if someone has to play on Thanksgiving, I don't want someone else to play on Thanksgiving. Like I feel like playing on yeah, Thanksgiving no, is fair. a very novelty event. Yeah. And if anyone gets to do it, it should be us. Right. I don't no, that, want someone else to get that experience. I actually totally feel you on that. I just think it would be fun. Yeah. And the press spread would have to be outstanding. They, I could make they cookies. Would have to come oh, no, I'm spread. mad. Uh, no, I could I'm make cookies. Mad. I make really good cookies. People would be bringing in food. Like I'd probably have to bring the mashed potatoes or something. Potatoes are the best part of Thanksgiving. I know. Uh, God, now Mickey, you bummed me out. I had had talked to myself into thinking that not playing on Thanksgiving was a good thing. And now like it's ruined. Uh, I'm going to feel like (laughs) I'm missing out. Uh, Maybe we'll still get it though. That's the thing, right? I mean, if we look at, the remaining two games uh i i think it's not absurd to say that these are essentially must wins as i don't feel super confident with the sounders in this form going into the playoffs and if they don't do well in these games i don't think i would be much more confident than i am right now um and i also think slumping into the playoffs isn't going to have a good impact on the team just like mentally um, so we really have to, we have to be the galaxy at home. You can't lose two, two home games in a row right before the playoffs. No, like they, they hundred percent have to win the galaxy game. There's no like to win the galaxy game. And, and this might come also, close enough to eliminating the galaxy. Even better. We could have essentially eliminated LAFC, but we didn't take that joy apparently. 
Um, and I mean, the Cascadia Cup is up for grabs on Sunday. And while I feel like most people have talked themselves or next Sunday, whichever Sunday we play again, um, the day of my Harry Styles concert. Um, yeah, we the Cascadia Cup is up for grabs. And I feel like a lot of people looked at the head to head, however the tiebreakers work and we're like, oh, the Sounders have this. But the Sounders have been being bad. So I don't know if that's necessarily as concrete as it was when everyone was looking at those tiebreakers. But I and think, Vancouver I think, is good. Yeah, and I think I think losing the Cascadia Cup on the last match of the regular season um, would also be incredibly disappointing don't and speak somewhat that into embarrassing. The world. I'm not speaking that into the world. I only manifest good things. I'm just saying they shouldn't do that because it would be bad. Yeah, again, this just all reminds me of of 2013. Uh, They were terrible down the stretch, limped into the playoffs, and then got bounced out by Portland um, in pretty uh, terrible. Yeah, awful fashion. Uh, It's unlikely they will play Portland this uh, time around just because of the way uh, the standings are. They're highly likely to be on the other side of the bracket, uh, especially if they can't catch uh, SKC. Uh, But all that aside, I mean, to to your points, they need to they need to show up and beat a galaxy team that is mediocre by any definition this year. Um, they'll be at home. Uh, they should be really grumpy. The galaxy are again, just kind of middling this year. Even if Chicharito uh, happens to show up, they've handled him for the most part uh, since he's been in MLS uh, and they're the better team. And there's no reason with the players coming back that they should not uh, handily, you know, win this game. Of course, you know, they've, We've said that before, uh, but I think I think they have the motivation um, and d- the drive to to put a put out a good performance because they know they need to uh, because you know anything less than a win is really going to set them up uh, really poorly for the Vancouver game. Even if they are able to retain Cascadia Cup with a, a narrow loss, that's not anything you're going to be uh, interested in in uh, dealing with and with a then two week break trying to figure out how you can turn things around. Yeah, uh, I think I'll just second that. I don't. I think that exhausts me, most of the stuff uh, that we wanted to talk about today. Uh, there is a big press conference on Monday morning before the Sounders game. Uh, FIFA, as you've probably heard, is in town, and they're going to be taking a tour of all the facilities and uh, presumably unveiling like their scheme for making this all work. Uh, the most interesting, I think, is of which is probably like how the Sounders are going to make grass work at, at Lumen Field. So uh, that's something that we can probably get into once we know a little bit more. I don't know. There's a whole lot of points in speculating about uh, what we might find out. Uh, so I think we're probably going to do a special podcast on Monday uh, devoted just to uh, that FIFA visit. Uh, and then we'll we'll be back talking to Sounders after that. So uh, thanks to uh, Beth, Mickey and Dave. Uh, I am Jeremiah O'Shan. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.